Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Judges, to the book of Judges. We are doing something a little bit different during the next eight to nine weeks. We are going through Judges, the seventh book of the Bible in the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking today in an introduction at just 30,000 feet, kind of looking at it from a broad perspective. And then we're going to go in over the next few weeks and look at each section a little bit more carefully. There's a historical reckoning happening in America over the last few years, as many of us know. With the rise of critical race theory, the Me Too, and the Black Lives Matter movements, many are now questioning those who we once considered as heroes and men of integrity and men that we would like to follow and we looked up to. Many are now calling for the cancellation and the removal of any and all statues of our founding fathers. Men such as George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin are now person non grata, meaning that they are unacceptable and undesirable and even objectable, mainly due to their ownership and owning of slaves. From parks, schools, universities, libraries, and other public facilities, their statues and names are being torn down and removed. This movement is not limited, though, to just the secular world and is now has infected the sacred world, uh, the sacred arena. Heroes of the faith like German reformer Martin Luther, the great American theologian Jonathan Edwards, evangelist George Whitfield and many of the founders of the Southern Baptist Universities are now targeted for cancellation due to their ownership of slaves. Every day, it seems like we are confronted with someone else that needs cancellation. Not just slavery, it could be all sorts of things, from me too to what you believe on this or that category. Movies, TV stars, newscasters, politicians, professors, and so on. This movement has raised up a cottage industry in scouring through old tweets, Facebook, Instagram posts, and even MySpace, believe it or not, to find something to criticize and cancel anyone that they disagree or dislike. We've seen this, have we not? So how are we to think and respond when people we once looked up to are now described as examples of racism, misogyny, and bigotry? Is it wrong to celebrate their birthdays and accomplishment in their field? And this dilemma is not limited to just our culture and an American context. Again, how do we react when we consider that the heroes of our Bible, from the Bible, are also presented as sinful, rebellious, and flawed? Over the next eight, nine weeks, we'll be looking at the book of Judges. This book comes with a warning. This book is filled with disturbing and violent content. It is a tragic tale of Israel's descent into sin and its rebellion against Yahweh. If it was to be made into a film that was faithful to it, it would be rated NC-17 for adults only. In our scripture reading this morning, we were reminded of Yahweh's command to the 12 tribes of Israel to fear the Lord, to serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness, by putting away the false Egyptian gods of their fathers and that they served. 
They were called to obey the commands given to them through Moses and to finish conquering the land of Canaan. Joshua reminds them that they will not be able to do this under their own power, but have to trust and rely on Yahweh. However, as we open the pages of Judges, we see that the people have rebelled and rejected and returned to the way of their fathers by chasing after the false and idols and the fleshly passions of the Canaanites. So if Judges chapter 2, if you would, just that second chapter of Judges, we're going to be reading through that. The first one is on the monitor again, but the rest will be in your scriptures and your Bible. We read, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgag to Bacham and said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars. But look at verse 4. Or I'm sorry, as he goes on. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I will say in verse 3, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of the place Bacham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Father, I pray as we open up this book, I know it can be a difficult book, especially in our context, trying to understand an ancient people in an ancient land far, far uh, removed from us with a culture that is totally foreign, but yet, in many cases, very familiar. I pray that you give us wisdom as we open up the book. We thank you for what is presented here. Let us understand it and be able to apply it to our lives, for it is profitable to us even today, thousands of years later. Be with us, open up our minds and hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. What we're reading here is after the successful conquest of the land of Canaan by Joshua and the Israelites, we open the pages of Judges to find that only a few short years after Joshua's death, that they have totally failed at keeping the covenant. As you see, it didn't take long for them to disobey the command of the Lord. To get a sense of what went wrong, let's continue in verse 6 of chapter 2. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went to each his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the work, great work that the Lord had done for Israel. In Joshua, in verse 8, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Look at verse 10. And then all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. They died. And there arose, here's the key, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Here we see another sad example of one generation failing to pass the baton to the next. We see this in sports teams, companies, universities, and families, where they have a purpose, they have a vision statement, this is what we believe, this is what we're going to do, but by the time you get to the next generation or the generation after, they have failed to faithfully pass the baton, and they lose their purpose, they lose their vision, they lose what they had meant to do. Scripture is filled with men who started out faithful only to see their children reject the faith of their parents and wander from the truth. 
And this should be a dire warning for all of us here today, especially parents and grandparents. We should never take for granted that our children will follow us in the faith. Even if we are faithful in our own eyes or in our own walk or think that we are. It is important for us to walk the walk and practice what we preach. But when it's all said and done, we should lead by faithful example to then trust that God will help, help us pass the baton. That is what God has called us to do. That is your most important purpose in life. It's not your job. It's not whatever society has for you, but it's to pass on to your baton the faith of our fathers. Verse 11, the writer of Judges dictates the end results of this lack of passing on the baton. Look at verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the God of Canaan. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger, and they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asheroths. They did not remember the works that God had done. And it's not that they struggled to fo- in following Yahweh's word, word and the example of their fathers, but they recklessly and rebelliously abandoned the Lord for what they could remember, the things that were set up for them. They had walked away purposely from them. Instead of pursuing holiness, they pursued the false gods of those that they were supposed to conquer. Joshua had warned them that this would be a temptation, yet they failed to follow his advice and the warnings of the Lord. In verse 14, we read of God's just judgment against them for their actions. Look at verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Think of that for a moment as we read past it. Kindled. What's kindled? It's like a small thing that you start and then you continually add things to it and it begins to smolder and it begins to get bigger and then it kindles more and you put more and more on it before you know it. Then you have a, a raging fire. It's not something that just, boom, you disobeyed, but it's something that was kindled. Their, their sin and their rebellion was something that they continually put on the fire, feeding the anger of God. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand the armies. Remember, Joshua, as you and I went through Joshua last summer, is they were just ravaging through the land as the Lord was giving them one enemy after another. But God withheld his hand in so long. So then the victories slowed down. They were not apparent. They did not foresee and all longer they could no longer withstand their enemies. Verse 13, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for what? For harm. Wait a second. I thought the Lord knows his plans for us and he wishes peace and goodness towards us. No. Could you imagine an almighty God who wishes you harm? Could you imagine what life would be like? The Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. Scripture informs and warms us at the same time that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, and that the Lord will judge his people. It also instructs us that is a 
fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And as you and I move through the book of Judges, we'll read of the consequences that the 12 tribes are going to pay for their disobedience. But whenever you see the anger of the Lord, whenever you see his hand for harm, whenever you see it in the terrible distress, the darkness of the night, through the suffering, there's also always a glimpse of light, a glimpse of mercy. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands who plundered them. You may want to underline that passage of scripture. That is continuing the redemption plan that God had began before the foundation of the world. Now the author in the date of Judges is unknown to us today. Although some Jewish traditions ascribed it to Samuel. Many of you might remember Samuel was the young boy that we talked about on Mother's Day. His mother was Hannah. She gave, God gave her a son and she gave him to a God that he may serve him. We'll see more of him as we continue on in First and Second Samuel. But many believe it was the prophet Samuel. The book depicts the events of Israel and the exploits of 12 men who were called to deliver Israel after the death of Joshua to the beginning of the monarch when the people said, let us have a king. God gave them Saul and then David and so on and so forth. The ESV study Bible's uh, editors comment that in this time of national decline and despite their promises to keep the people, they turned from the Lord and they began to worship other gods. Here on the monitor is a simple timeline. You may see here as you're looking at scriptures, you see Moses and the, they leave the promised land. Joshua helps them conquer the land and Joshua dies. And we're seeing there just a little bit of the timeline there of where it fits historically. Theologian Fee and Stewart in their book note that the book of Judges emphasized again on the monitor the tenuous results of the conquest. God's constant rescue of his people, despite their habitual failure to keep the covenant with him, the desperate conditions and the overall, overall downward spiral during this period and their need for a good king. The basic problem in Israel at that time required, that required deliverance was Israel's failure to completely conquer the land and its descent into a cycle of sinful rebellion, a cry out for deliverance, and for Yahweh sending leaders to rescue them. This pattern is like a rinse and repeat from one generation to the next. They never learn from one another. A pattern repeats throughout this book. You'll see it here on the monitor. First, you'll see that there's sin. The people abandon the Lord. And then God would then uh, punish them with oppression by raising up a foreign power to oppress them. But then you see the people would, would, would then re, uh, respond with repentance. The people cried out to God for deliverance. God would then bring that deliverance. He would raise up a deliverer, a judge for them. God would then give them peace as they experience peace and safety for a time. But then that judge would die and they would rinse and repeat that cycle once again, over and over and over. So as you read Judges, and I encourage you to read Judges uh, during the next two months with us and just read as we go through that. You'll see that cycle re re repeat time and time again. And to be honest, you could take that cycle out of Judges and put it throughout Scripture. You could put it throughout the church history. We're seeing these cycles happen. To be honest, you probably see this cycle in your own life. 
as you too follow this cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, and peace, so on and so forth. Pastor Tim Keller states that Israel gave, or that Israel gave several excuses for their failure to conquer the rest of the land. You know, I might say, wait a second, when we left Joshua, man, the people were pumped. They're ready to go at it. But yet this next generation comes up and we see that there are still people in the land that haven't been conquered. Why is that happening? Why are these, their pockets of resistance? Well, they claim that the military, the enemy was military stronger. They have chariots. But as you and I know, scripture tells us that chariots were no match for God. They had seen through Joshua. They had heard from their parents as little children. They, they had heard of, of Jericho. They had saw of, of, of response of what happened to Ai afterwards and all the ways in which God gave them victory. The enemy was determined to hold on to the land. We would expect that. Say, well, these people just don't want to go. Well, what enemy does? Who wants to give up their land? Say, this is just too difficult for us. But if we really look at really what's going on, because those things were true. But they were still responsible for their failure as they thought that they could take their enemy instead of defeating them. Well, we'll just oppress them and put them to forced slavery. Remember, we'll have them become our woodcutters and, and draw water for us. But they could not do it. They allowed them to grow stronger and stronger. But the main thing is they became friendly or desirous of what they had. So instead of seeing them as enemies, they saw them as, hey, you know, I like their lifestyle. I, I like their gods. I, I like their clothes. I like, like their women. And sure enough, they became friendly. And they made pacts with these people who eventually would come to oppress them. And because of this, God gave them over to their enemies who would then cruelly oppress them. Generations removed from slavery in Egypt, they are now once again under the yoke of bondage. And true to his word, God provided men who would rise up and deliver them from the clutches of their enemies and reestate peace. These men were called judges. Now, these were not judges as you and I think of judges today. They didn't sit on a bench in black robes and then, then just dispense law and order in that way or settle civil disputes, though that was part of it. One theologian notes that it's better to think of judges as military leaders or generals who ruled for a season or a time over a region of Israel, typically not over all of Israel, but usually a region, either by their self or by an outside appointment. God would raise them up or someone would come and ask them to be that deliverer. However, what you and I are going to discover, what you may already know, is that these men were not always the best of men. They were not men that you and I would choose as role models. Gary, we would not choose these men to date our daughters. They were not men that you probably would want to work for. Pastor Vernon McGee notes that all the judges themselves were limited in their capabilities. In fact, each one seemed to have some defect and handicapped that would not actually serve as a hindrance, but it was something that was very evident, but became a positive asset under the sovereign direction of God. In other words, these men were flawed and sinful as the people themselves. Some were idol worshipers themselves. Gideon doubted God. 
Samson was driven by his lust for women. Barak was a coward. And Bimelech killed his brothers, all 70 of them. And Jephthah's pride led to his daughter's death. In so many ways, these men were not to be emulated. Yet we also read that these men are also included in the Hebrew Hero Hall of Faith. That's what you and I have to debate or consider as we go through this series. How can these men who were flawed and sinful themselves, how could they also be called heroes of the faith? Should not we cancel them? I mean, Samson definitely was in, was in an era of the Me Too generation, right? Why in the world would we ever hold up Samson? Now, I do want to give you some warnings as you read through Judges and we go through it. You and I have to realize that what we're seeing here is a, is a record of what happened during this terrible, terrible time. And there are some terrible things that are going to happen especially as we get to the end of Judges. And those of you who have read it understand what I'm talking about. But you have to recognize that just because what is indicated or what had happened during it does not mean that God condoned everything that happened. There are some terrible things that you and I were going to look at and say, how in the world did this happen? That does not mean that God condoned that behavior. We also need to be warned that you and I should not read this and then feel superior to them. Oh, if I was this person, I would not have done it this way. Or I would have been much more faithful. You and I need to be careful of what we'd call generational snobbery. Uh, that's what we have today. We have many people to say, well, if I lived in the 1700s, 1800s, I wouldn't have owned slaves. I wouldn't have done that. Or, or I would never have treated a woman in that way. But we're men and women of our times. And I don't want to go much into this. It's not a cultural essay here that I'm trying to give you here. But many times we're guilty of being snobs of the past, not understanding the times. But also we need to be warned that you and I cannot adopt their attitude, expecting that, hey, if I have this attitude, if I'm sinful and flawed, if I, if I don't do what God calls me, then God will just send somebody to help me as soon as I cry out for repentance. That's what many people do. Well, I'll accept Jesus at the last minute as if Jesus is going to give you a two-minute warning. Or he's going to give you a last call. Okay, last call. Gospel's coming up. Your death in two minutes. It, it doesn't happen that way. If this is the case, then why in the world should you and I even read this book? Why is it in the Bible? What is the purpose that we can learn from a book filled with flawed, sinful people helping really ingrates? How is this profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness? And these are good questions, I know, because I asked them myself. Josh Vincent, writing for Nine Marks, gives us four reasons you and I should read or preach through Judges. He says, one, is you and I need to realize, again, and this is so important, that in Judges, the hero of the story is not any particular judge. The hero of the story is God. As you and I read Judges, you and I are not these judges. You and I are not the deliverer. You and I are the ones that need to be delivered. We're also going to see that there's both individual and communicable effects of sin. We need to see that our sin causes waves that harms others. Just as a body of Christ, 
our communal sins that we do together, that we agree to do together, or those that we allow, those that we approve also have an effect. What you're also going to see is judges, as rough as it is on women, that judges actually teaches us how God values women, especially in a time of age when they did not. But we're also going to see that the darkness of judges, and again, judges is a dark book, it highlights the beauty of the following book of Ruth and the glory of God in his redemption. There is much that you and I can learn from the rebellious Israelites and its flawed leaders. Again, one, excuse me, one pastor in his study of Judges writes that the big idea of the book of Judges is that God's people go wrong when we fail to trust God's promises. Let me get that to you again. God's people go wrong when we fail to trust God's promises. When is your marriage going off rails? When are you personally going off rails? When is your family struggling? When we go wrong, when we fail to trust God's promises. That is sin. They don't obey him fully. And so what we see, he says, is that you and I need grace. So even in the darkness and the terribleness, the tragedy of Judges, we are going to see glimpses of God's grace that breaks through as a light into a dark world, pointing to something greater. Now, this morning, I'd like to point out three areas that lead to Israel's repeat of this, the repeating of this vicious cycle, this rinse and repeat. There's three things, three areas that continue to lead to this. And I believe you're going to see that there are three areas that you and I also struggle with today. Number one, this is not on the monitor, but number one, if you're taking notes, is a lack of godly morals. They are suffering from a lack of godly morals. Go back to Judges chapter 2. Are you still there? Look with me in verse 17. We had just read that God sent deliverers to them, but look at this. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the ways in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. There is a moral confusion that is going on in this time. Instead of considering the things of God, they're looking onto the things of the world. Instead of following the holiness code that was given to them, the exhortation to refrain from adopting the practices and the lifestyle of the pagans surrounding them, and the command to trust Yahweh, they abandoned their oaths and rejected the covenant. They did not cling to the Lord, nor were they careful to love the Lord as instructed by Joshua. They desired the things of the world more than the things of God. Continue number two. Not only was there a lack of godly morals, but there was a lack of godly leadership. Godly leadership. Look at verse 18. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for him, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hands of the enemies all the days of the judges. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Again, we see a God who hears, who remembers, who acts. But, verse 19, whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods. Serving them and bowing down to them, they did not drop any of the practices or their stubborn ways. 
If there was godly leadership, they stayed true and narrow. When they lacked, they went their own way. Parents, dads, we need to see this. A lack of godly leadership in a home, in a marriage, at work, in businesses, and churches will lead to us to drop and go to our old practices and stubborn ways. This book, excuse me, serves as a great example of what happens when a people and their leaders forsake God and his word. King Solomon writes in Proverbs 14, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, can any of us not say this is what's happening in America today and around the world? What month are we in? We are in a whole month, 30 days of celebrating Romans chapter 1, LGBTQ. We are celebrating the very things that God says is an abomination in which, one in which he has turned the world over to their own devices. As we can attest today, history is replete with men who may have been gifted with leadership skills and administration abilities, able to lead armies and conquer lands and even inspire people, but eventually their pride and their wickedness lead to their downfall. We seem to be in this cycle ourselves. We may complain about our leaders, but we get the leaders that we deserve, especially when we forsake God's work and word in our lives. There was a lack of godly leadership. But then as we go on to verse 20 of Judges chapter 2, there's a lack of godly faithfulness. So there's a lack of godly morals, there's a lack of godly leadership, and there's a lack of godly faithfulness. Look at verse 20. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant, that I commanded their fathers and they do not obey my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. In order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hands of Joshua. By the way, if you want to know why we haven't been delivered from the presence of sin, you'll see it here in Judges. It's to test us to see whether or not we will be Faithful to God. Turn back, if you would, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, just two books back. Now, before you and I become too harsh in judging them for their failure and passing the baton from one generation to the next, we must understand that generational faithfulness is simultaneous, really, really important. We are to do it, but yet you and I know that it's really difficult to do so. You may recall that Yahweh had commanded through Moses for the people to be faithful in passing down the word of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, we read that now this is the commandment, the statute and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may be fear the Lord your God. And look at it. You and your son and your son's son by keeping all of his statutes. So these were to be passed faithfully from one generation to the next. In verse 4, he gives the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. There is what you and I are to do, to love the Lord our God with all that we are. He goes on to say, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And I'm afraid men, are we teaching them diligently to our children? And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, is it part of your whole being or is it just on Sunday mornings for an hour or is it just for a certain time? Does your whole life point to the cross? Does it point to the things of God? It says you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house on your guests or on your gates. In other words, anyone who enters your home should know that this is a house that worships God. This command is so important even today. Yet scripture points out that many of the men failed to do so. We can go back to Isaac, to Jacob, to Eli, to Samuel, to David. There are just a few examples of men that failed in doing so, leading to tragic consequences. This is what happens when we neglect the word of God. When we neglect training our children to fear God. And we neglect pursuing holiness in our own lives. The Holy Spirit summarizes this terrible and tragic period of the Israelites. In Judges 21-25, it's here on the monitor. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was what? Right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does this verse not also describe us today? The comparisons are uncanny and really too close for comfort. We too are infected, and you can leave that up there for a while. We too are infected not only within our own country, but also in our own churches and homes with a lack of godly morals. There is a confusion even in our own life. In Romans 1, we read of the consequence of denying God, of exchanging the truth of God for the lie. For he says that God gave us up to dishonorable passions for the women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise grew up natural or gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for the error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to do. We exchange the absolute truth for a truth that is relative. We have a moral confusion of what is right and wrong. We've accepted for decades now the, the concept of relative truth and denied and rejected absolute truth. You see, relative truth is what is your truth? Truth is for you. We were watching that um, documentary, uh, What is a Woman by Matt Walsh. And it's interesting how many of them say, well, what is your truth? Or that is truth for you. Or the man on the street interviews and people would go, well, that's true for you. That's true for you. And I will accept and approve what your truth is. So if I were to say that I'm a six foot four man with a full head of hair, you are to accept that. 
To be honest, the NBA should sign me up because now I am seven foot two and I'm ready to go. That's the type of world we live in today. But you and I have neglected the true truth, the absolute truth, that which is true for all people, for all times, for all places, in all ways. We don't live in that world today. We have a moral confusion. It's sad because our churches are filled with moral confusion of what is right and wrong. But Proverbs 14, 12, mark this down. Write it down. Memorize this verse. There is a way that seems right to a man, to a man but its end is the way to death. You may think you know what is right, but the end is death. It is not the acceptance of the truth of God. Its only way is death. Again, we have a lack of godly leadership. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs 29. We're going to go through Proverbs 29 very quickly. Again, this is answering that question is, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king. You and I live in the same way. We have a lack of of godly morals as they did. We also have a lack of godly leadership in Proverbs chapter 29. Look at verse 2. It says, when righteous or when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Are we not living in that world today? Why? Because we are not making disciples. Look at verse 4. But by justice, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down or exacts uh, or, or, uh, bribes. Verse 12. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. Verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Now that prophetic vision is not speaking of visions that you and I are that I might get, but it's talking about the word of God and what God has called us to do. When preachers and pastors stop preaching the word of God, stop presenting the gospel and begin to preach just cultural issues, become influencers rather than proclaimers of the truth, the people will cast off all restraint and go their own way. There's also a lack of godly faithfulness. Continuing in Proverbs 29. Look at verse 1. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, rebels against it, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. In verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Fathers, we need to bring back the, the paddle. We need to bring back, we need to bring back uh, some type of discipline that trains our children. Look at verse 16. When the wicked increase, transgression increases. But the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. You and I are living in a day in which everyone now is doing what is right in their own eyes. Not only that is they're asking you to not only affirm it, but to approve it, to accept it, and to accelerate it into our lives, into our families, into our churches. They're codifying it into law. Where will we stand in a year or two, five years? 
It doesn't matter. We, even in the darkness of times, you and I need to be faithful. We need to live lives of godly morals. We need to live gods of, of godly faithfulness. We need to rise up godly leaders, praying for godly leaders. God's answer for this dilemma is the same as it was in the time of Judges. Listen, please stay with me. He hears the cries of the repentant. He sent a deliverer, except this deliverer is not a flawed or sinful one, but one who took on the sins of the children of God by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. He has sent a judge to finish all these things. In doing so, he earned our salvation and he has granted us eternal inheritance that cannot be lost, that cannot be taken from us or be forfeited. And as you and I work our way through this difficult book, let us be reminded of our deliverer, our judge, Jesus Christ. For all of this points to the one king who rules in righteousness justice, and peace. You and I are not the hero of the story. We are the sinful, rebellious 12 tribes who are selfishly pursuing our passions to our own peril and death. Unless God supernaturally intervenes, delivering us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day that presence of sin. Until that day, let us commit to pursuing holiness. Pray that God will send us godly leadership. If you're complaining about our governor, your mayor, your president, and you're not praying for him, just be silent. You can't do one without the other. We must pray. And also that through the Holy Spirit, that you and I may be found faithful and pass the baton, not only to our families, but to others, that we may be who God has called us to be in our dark times. I'd like to say one last word, because not only in my own family, my own life, but in this world, we need to kind of consider what you and I are to do about flawed men in our own lives. Carl Truman writing for World Magazine. Do we have that there? Yes, thank you, Ben. Listen to what he says. If we set the bar at sinless perfection, in other words, if we expect our leaders, our fathers, our pastors to have sinless perfection or even at constantly consistent outward holiness, we will have nobody left upon whose wisdom we can draw. It is silly that we are losing great minds and universities and others because of this cancellation. People are ready to take Jonathan Edwards and throw him out the door, to disregard the preaching of George Whitfield, to look at other men and say, we can't have them because they were sinful. And we're seeing this, we can't watch movies, we can't listen to music, we can't watch this newscaster because of some Me Too or some other thing. But there is an end in which if we continue doing down that path, who will we listen to? To be honest, if that is the case, then I need to cancel myself. So what are we to do? When we look not only in the real world, and not only in Scripture, because there's some now that say that we need to cancel Paul, 
Because Paul was misogynist. And he was a, a homophobe. We should not listen to him. He, 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 he wasn't good to women. I mean, seriously, they're canceling David, changing the concept of David and Bathsheba. So if you take David out, you take all the Psalms out. What do you do without the majority of the Bible? What do you do without the majority of the New Testament? But then we have family members who have disappointed us, who we respected, baby pastors, we honored, only to find that they were flawed, sinful. There were things that they kept secret or hidden, and now we only found out later. Our hearts are broken. We're disappointed. Maybe we're just ready to give up. If that person who I thought was a godly person and godly faithful and a great leader, boy, if he was flawed, then, then I just give up. It can't be done. Politicians, teachers, our favorite media personality, pastors, friends, mothers, fathers. Let me tell you, you've got a pastor who is flawed and sinful and rebellious many times. I do not set up in this pulpit in any way perfect, correct in everything. I'm reminded of one man who says that God uses flawed, sinful people to accomplish his purposes for his glory and our good. You've heard me say before, think of David. If anyone needs to be canceled, David is. And he was faithful, right? But all of his children went off into evil. His children and grandchildren. One son raped his, his sister. The other tried to kill David. David was a godly leader, but yet many times he brought the land into disarray and caused many thousands to die because of his leadership. But yeah, but he was a good moral man, but yet he murdered, guilty of adultery and sometimes cruelty. But what does the Bible say of him? And David served God's purposes in his generation and died. Let me tell you, if you have a dad, if you have a pastor, a friend, if you have a hero of the faith that you have found is flawed or a sin, you're struggling with it. Remember, that person served God in his purposes in his generation. That's you and I. We're like weeble wobbles. Anybody remember weeble wobbles? We fall, but we get back up. We fall, but we get back up. Let us understand that that cycle of sin of the Israelites is in our own hearts. Be a God sent a deliverer once and all, the author and finisher of our faith. As we consider judges, let us learn what God has given us, that God has given us flawed, sinful men many times as we are for his glory and our good. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, let me end with this. Paul, be imitators of me as I am Christ. I'll tell you, follow me until I veer off. And if I veer off, don't continue walking with me like a bunch of ducks. No, you keep going straight. That's what God has called us to do. 
I'm thankful for a church that has elders so that if I do that, boy, they can put me back in my place. That is also part of your responsibility as this part of members of the church. You are to keep me on the straight and narrow. We are to keep each other. Imitate us as we imitate Christ. But you can only imitate Christ if you know Christ. If you know his word. And may the Holy Spirit teach us all things. With their head bowed and every eye closed. May ask Randy to go ahead and come up. We're going to be taking communion here in a moment, but I just want you to take a moment to pause and consider it again. These introduction messages are always a little bit different. They're more informational uh, than, than a typical message is. But I pray that you can consider some of the things that we can learn from the book of Judges. Then would you pray? Maybe call out to God and say, Lord, am I lacking in morals? Is there some confusion in my life? Am I struggling with leading in my own home, in my own family, or at work, or in my neighborhood? Am I struggling with faithfulness? And then look to the judge, the final deliverer, who embraces us and delivers us from the works of, Christ, of, works of from Satan, that for his glory and our good. Rain, would you come close us with prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.